for tuning in to Sparks and Honey's Daily Culture Briefing. My name is Hannah Hickman, and today we're doing something a little different, a little special. We have an incredible group of interns working with us this summer, and they've spent the last few weeks exploring the metaverse. So today, we are going to be interviewing our intern class to discuss their insights, their ideas, their opinions, and get a sense of what they think Gen Z is going to want from the metaverse. First of all, huge welcome to our intern class, Ishan, Florina, Deborah, Jonas, Chantal, and Andrew. So excited to have you in the studio talking about this topic. And to my co-briefer and co-interviewer for today, Danny. So the question that we are going to be exploring is what expectations do Gen Z have of the metaverse and what needs to change or evolve to meet those needs? There has obviously been a lot written about the metaverse in the last year and is often the case when we're talking about new technology. It's just sort of assumed that Gen Z is going to jump on it. But I think as you'll see through this discussion, it's a little bit more complicated than that. So I'd love to start with talking about higher education, obviously something that all of our interns are intimately familiar with. This is a, a great signal about bringing higher education into the metaverse. So Masana Morris is a chemistry professor at Morehouse College, and she has become very fond of the metaverse. She recently was talking to the Daily Beast, and she told them that the possibilities there are endless. Students are able to create the spaces that they want to inhabit. She was referring to some classes starting at the foot of a virtual Mount Fuji. Morris is also the director of Morehouse Metaversity. This is a project that launched in March 2021 as a, a proof of concept. It set out to test the efficacy of a VR classroom in order to meet the growing demand for remote learning in the wake of the pandemic. We've seen a lot of different universities, college campuses explore this idea of having a metaversity. So with an internet connection, any student can sign in, they enter their meta campus. It's a digital replica in this instance of the actual Morehouse campus, and they take things from there. Uh, I think this is so cool because we're also talking about a chemistry professor. So this is an instance of students actually participating in a chemistry class in the metaverse. This is a great quote from, from Morris. She said, we know what the typical American classroom looks like. You sit still, you listen to someone talk, it bores the crap out of you. So obviously we have someone here who is really big on the idea that a metaversity can provide stimulation that a traditional IRL setting cannot. So each of our interns has chosen the signal. We'll be asking them and the rest of the panel their thoughts on this. Uh, Chantal, I am so curious what made you choose this signal. And I'd love to hear you talk about the gap between the potential of the metaverse, which is unlimited, and the reality of what we're seeing in the early days. For I know, higher education institutions, should they be jumping on the bandwagon and setting up their metaversities? Or do they need to do more to address students' needs sort of on the ground? Yeah, um, so when I well, when I landed upon this signal, um, it really was because I graduated in May, and I've been thinking a lot about um, how to enhance the undergraduate experience. As I've been reflecting on my own time throughout those last four years, um, and with COVID and everything, I was really thinking about how to create um, a better experience for students, how to keep them engaged. Um, as Dr. Morris was talking about, you know, it can be kind of boring to just hear a lecture, and especially um, I found it interesting that she she brought chemistry, as you were saying, she brought a chemistry class into the metaverse. And so 
I love the fact that there's a lot of creativity and um, exploration that can be investigated within the metaverse and higher education. I think um, for students, we're constantly looking for new ways to learn. As a committed learner myself, I'm I'm looking for new ways to to find things interesting and, and to look at them um, from different avenues and perspectives. And so I think there's a lot there with brands. Um, they should. I think higher education in and of itself, like, they should be finding a space um, and a platform within the metaverse, because as the world is changing, we're kind of heading in this digital direction, um, we should be really looking at how students are going to learn, what's the future of learning for us. Um, and I think, yeah, students should have a role in what that conversation is going to look like. I love that idea of a lifelong learner being not just about learning new topics, but also exploring how you're learning. But I'm curious, I mean, you all lived through college in the pandemic. If there was an immersive experience like this at the beginning, right? I mean, we saw a lot of people setting it up and trying, but if you just had the option from the get-go when things shut down the pandemic to go into a metaverse university, do you think it would have made the whole you know, pandemic more positive experience? Or is nothing really going to replicate that, that face-to-face contact that you were missing being on a college campus? I think I can speak for this one. So... I actually spent the first semester of my college experience doing classes entirely remote from home. So not only was there like a geographical barrier, there was also a time zone difference. And I found that what I was really missing out on wasn't so much the academic experience. I felt that I was still learning the same things that I did through Zoom lessons that I would have done in a traditional classroom setting. But personally, I felt that I really missed out on those chance social interactions that kind of really captures what it means to be in college. You know, going to class early and, and having a random conversation with the kids sitting next to you, meeting someone in the dining hall and asking them to sit down for lunch and all these chance social interactions that you don't really plan but just happen when you are living and interacting on a college campus. And I'm skeptical of the metaversity's ability to replicate chance interactions. I, I think it's a good idea in terms of you know, creating a more immersive learning experience. Like, I feel like biology class could be really a lot more immersive if you get to take like, a 3D tour around the human body. And, and that's obviously something that you do not get in a traditional college setting. But I feel like you might not get the same level of, of random social interactions that characterize so much of what the social and learning aspects that come outside of the classroom might be in, in a college campus. So I think until the day comes in which we are able to capture the experience in the metaverse and, and create spaces for students to interact casually, to interact without it being scheduled on their timetables, you know, I think that aspect it's not going to be captured fully. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> um, for me, uh, I I really prefer face-to-face contact when I'm in my classes, and I found it really hard to sort of pay attention um, in Zoom university, as we called it. Um, and I think a metaverse university could really elevate that and make it easier for maybe people with some learning um, challenges and you know, there's a new space to kind of elevate the learning experience for everyone and make it so that it's easy to learn for all types of students. So I think that could be a really interesting way to play into the Metaverse University space. Andrew, you had something to say? Yeah, I was going to say, well, I had my first semester in person, so it was a bit luckier. But um, I definitely think, like, building on your idea that I think the Metaverse can capture, like, meta-universities could capture things that you can't do in a normal classroom. And I think, in a sense, like, the metaverse can be used to almost augment, like, sort of like a tool in a toolkit. The teacher can say, like, 
hey, if we have like a lesson that would be more engaging if we were to jump into the metaverse, they could just like, everyone pull out your headsets, let's go into the metaverse and like, let's learn here. But I think like, interestingly enough, like something I did in chemistry my sophomore year of high school was like, you know, try out Bunsen burners and like the flame test or like the color flame test, if anyone's done that. And I think that was like really engaging to be like in person, in real life, to be able to see the colors for myself. So I think like definitely there are two parts to that, right? Like it's like a tool in a toolkit almost. The other thought I had was sort of like, it seems almost, it shouldn't be like the metaverse shouldn't be trying to replace in-person universities. And, and that like, I think I heard a lot of complaints from people who took gap years uh, during like this uh, COVID was that they were, like didn't really want to pay tuition to just go to school virtually. So I think there is a big like concern there. Yeah, um, I was also thinking about online schools, like schools that offer like online certificates for people to learn on their own time, like after they after their jobs, for example, after they work. And so that's sort of like non-traditional schooling. And I think that it can be isolating sometimes to just like, you know, take a course or a course like on your own time without that sort of like engagement with other people who are like taking these courses. And so I think that the metaverse could potentially have a great impact in that sense because for like traditional schooling, like traditional higher education, I think we're seeing people coming back to in person and so maybe the metaverse could augment that, but for like online, like non-traditional alternatives to schooling, I think that's where the metaverse could really have an impact. Yeah. I think it's so interesting. We're hearing a lot of different points about what types of experiences do we want the metaverse to help? I love that word augment rather than replicate. And it's definitely interesting to hear all of your perspective with with Zoom University and thinking about ways that the metaverse could have perhaps enhanced that in ways that you didn't really want the metaverse to, you know, try and replicate that experience. Uh, I'd love to, to move on to the next thing. We're talking about large institutions. So let's go from, from universities to talking about embassies. Danny, do you want to take us away? Yes. So this next segment was from Deborah, and it's also about learning, but in a different capacity. So Indigenous Australian leaders are piloting a metaverse embassy into Centraland in the Sandbox. Professor Vanessa Lee Amat, um, who's also a cultural broker focused on well-being through Australian indigenous traditional culture, uh, believes that the metaverse is an emerging platform for spirituality, but also meeting people um, that's giving a presence there as a a symbol of being welcome and also giving recognition where it's due. She goes on to say it's important to understand consodianship and past and current approaches to native title regarding land claims and physical world, there are 240 years of catch up. Part of the motivation is cultural healing. It's also about identity and lost sovereignty for for indigenous culture. And there's really no playbook for empowering indigenous communities and new technologies can help to leapfrog a legal process. The article then summarizes the use of claim land, educational accessibility, and wealth generation with cryptocurrency. So Deborah, what stuck out to you in this signal and what kind of impact could cultural institutions have on society at large with metaverse execution such as this one? Yes, I I really love this signal because I thought it was a really innovative way to look at issues that the metaverse currently faces. So I think a very big concern that a lot of people have is issues of the lack of regulation or the lack of established structures in the metaverse. And I thought this signal offers a really interesting perspective in that it's taking the lack of 
you know, regulated institutions and using that as a force for good. So you have these indigenous Australians who are still struggling to get national recognition in their own countries, able to take the empty space of the metaverse and truly create something good with it. And I thought it was fascinating because if you look at a lot of how like colonialism has been spread, the idea of like terra nullis and of like empty land as something that you know white colonizers came in and, and took indigenous land and, and said that the land, was, the land was empty because it wasn't being worked or it wasn't being colonized. And they used that as a way to you know, remove indigenous sovereignty from land. And the fact that now these indigenous communities can use the metaverse, which is actually truly empty land, you know, it's something that didn't exist before. There's no previous land claims to this space and use that to forge a space for themselves that they aren't accorded in the real world. I think it's something that goes to show a lot of what the possibilities and the potentials that this space can have for cultural institutions. And also for, I think, perhaps territories that may not have national recognition as countries. You know, if you have issues of sovereignty or you have issues of land claim and you know who territories belong to, these spaces can allow for cultural preservation and cultural sharing on a level that may not be possible in the real world. So, you know, I'm thinking of places like Tibet or Hong Kong, in which they are having a lot of issues with legal recognition of of sovereignty and the physical world, and the metaverse can become a space in which geopolitical concerns can be transcended to a different level, and you can create space for communities to gather together and exchange their heritage in a meaningful way that they may be prevented from doing in the real world. So I, I thought the signal was really fascinating in that aspect, and I think that if we are able to you know, involve diverse creators and diverse communities in the very outset of creating this metaverse, we can have a potential to position the space as something that can perhaps rewrite the wrongs that have been done in the real world. Absolutely. There's definitely an element here of ownership and providing people with the opportunity to do better. And so much talk around the metaverse is, is negative, but there are so many positive aspects to it as well as an empowerment tool for underrepresented communities. Um, as we think about ownership as well, our next signal is from Ishan, and it is about NFTs um, and how they can still be an exciting part of the metaverse's future. So we've all heard lots of talk about NFTs. Some people are really enthusiastic, some less so. Um, but there's a really new, exciting opportunity with NFTs uh, with external and the external NFT collection, the uh, Sato Shiverse is the first to transform their NFTs into linked wearables, taking the new feature from concept to reality in Decentraland. The linked wearables feature was first added to Decentraland back in April as a result of a DAO proposal, Decentraland Autonomous Organization. Um, and linked wearables are 3D representations of NFTs that originate from outside of Decentraland and can be used as wearables in world. So the whole concept here is about interoperability. Um, they're not regular wearables, however. They do not exist, um, exist inside traditional wearable collections. They have no rarity and cannot be sold on the primary or secondary Decentraland market. They're simply in-world representations mapped to external NFTs. Um, so, Sean, what do developments like linked wearables mean for digital worlds, and why should brands care? Yeah, um... First of all, I thought this article was really cool because um, 
I myself was very confused about what an NFT was and just sort of started getting into it. And um, so for, for starters, NFTs are basically digital pieces of art. Um, they're extremely popular because uh, it, it's a token that, store, that basically stores monetary value. And they're irreplaceable and they're non-duplicable, which also adds um, value to them. So especially on the metaverse and especially as linked variables, I think it's super interesting to sort of explore how this development um, can really, like, it's a, it's a really great thing, especially on the metaverse for brands, because A, NFTs are, are offer, they offer a lot of, um, it's a great way for, a way for uh, creators to promote their collectibles and items on the metaverse, because um, it's a world where everyone is sort of coming now, and Decentraland, for example, already has 500k users. So creators can really promote their NFT by wearing them. And as you said, there are three um, representations from NFTs from outside the world, and that kind of sort of comes in and transcends into the metaverse. So that's super cool, too. Another part of it that I really connected with is um, these linked variables. Wearing these linked variables can lead to sort of community gatherings, and it can lead to like um, feeling like having a sense of community in the metaverse. So a lot of creators are looking for that in the metaverse, and a lot of them want people who buy NFTs who are like interested in them to come together and have events and you know get a chance to socialize. And I think that's a really big part of what the metaverse is really looking to do as well with people. Um, and brands especially should care about this because this is a very effective way to advertise instead of having sort of irritating advertise, uh, advertisements you know, in your face all the time. This, this could be a really cool way for them to advertise. And um, a very interesting example that I read about was actually Coca-Cola. And in one of the worlds um, in the metaverse, they actually had, a, they actually had um, a friendship box. And they launched an event. And the highest bidder received a box full of NFTs which had a jacket and other cool items. And it also, they also delivered a you know, fridge full of Coca-Cola cans in the real world to the highest bidder. So I think NFTs are really, or just linked wearables um, uh, generally are a really good development and something, I mean, they have like good benefits, especially in the metaverse. Yeah. Yeah, it's to Andrew's point earlier, it's not an either or, it's an and. It's an extension of reality. Uh, moving on to our next signal, Hannah, you want to take it away? Yes, I would love to go from talking about community to talking about cows. So it's not just humans who are getting to experience the metaverse. This is a great signal from Florina. A farmer in Turkey is experimenting with immersive metaverse technology for his herd of dairy cattle. He's been telling reporters that the experience is about helping them stay calm and produce more milk while they're trapped inside in a barn during a really severe winter. So he strapped VR headsets to two cows. Uh, their milk output went up from 22 liters to 27 liters each day. He also said that it gives them an emotional boost. He wants the uh, experiment to expand and wants to buy more VR glasses for his cows. We should know vets were involved throughout the process. This was you know, done in a controlled environment. And the intention of all the involved parties is yes, about boosting milk production, but also about alleviating anxiety. So, Florida, I am so curious to hear you talk about the sort of uh, issues that are coming up with ethical escapism. 
Are VR headsets really a, a good way to think about de-stressing cows or de-stressing any animals? Or do the ethical concerns, the issues of consent outweigh the, the benefits? And what should you know brands be taking away from this kind of way outside the lines thinking when it comes to metaverse technology? Yeah, I think that there's a really interesting tension here between the collective and the individual in the sense that collectively I am concerned about this, that this would lead to some sort of like over-reliance on technology where ranchers would no longer have to like acquire plots of lands to let their cows like roam free because they could just strap them to a VR headset and put them on a treadmill and you know the cows would think they're like roaming the sunny hills of Austria or something, right? And kind of like putting that in a human context, I also worry that this would lead people to sort of escape from the horrors of the real world while not addressing it um, appropriately or as they should for like um, issues of the climate crisis or homelessness or poverty. Um, like you said, like escapism, it's, it's something that I think that lies on the individual because people have needed escapism for like before the internet, right? Even before the internet existed, people have gone to books and music and all these sorts of things. And so I think that's where the ethical concern lies and the tension between the collective and the individual and which one we would rather see win out or whether like it can be integrated equally. Um, and I think that for me, I don't know if there's a right answer for this until the metaverse actually like develops to the point where like real laws and regulations about these ethical boundaries can be created. So, yeah. I love that point about escapism. Internet did not invent it, but it has enhanced how much we can escape and, and what we can escape. And it's really interesting to hear you bring up that desire for institutions, for brands to play a, a role in regulating this space and to create some of those boundaries. So let's stay on the topic of VR. Danny, I will pass it over to you. Okay, so this is maybe one of my favorite signals that Jonas had submitted. Um, and it's called Meta VR still won't have legs. And it's a question that I've wondered about as well. Uh, so in this signal, uh, one important point in the topic of the metaverse is that it's not fully realized yet. The signal from CNN addresses the challenges of mimicking the physical within the virtual. Earlier this year, Meta CTO Andrew Bosworth acknowledged that accurate leg tracking is really difficult with the current headsets out there right now beyond just even the Oculus 2. Um, and Avi Barzeev, an Oakland, California-based VR and AR consultant for startups and a former employee at Apple and Amazon, who also worked on Microsoft HoloLens, said, if a company wants to represent a person's legs in a realistic way in VR, it needs to find a way to keep tabs on what those legs are actually doing in real life. Adding more sensors to the headset itself, like cameras on the underside that point toward the ground, might seem like a potential solution, but it's not that easy. Um, and Timothy West of Unity suggests that leg movements may eventually be animated with the help of AI, where motion could be predicted based on data from the headset about how a person's head is moving. However, doing this well would require a massive amount of data about the ways people walk, for instance. And since it would not include tracking the legs specifically, 
it wouldn't be true to how each person moves. So it makes a lot more sense of why um, people are just kind of floating around as torsos. So Jonas, knowing that one of the positive talking points for the metaverse is accessibility and extending abilities, how important is it that tech companies get avatar legs right? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really important, and especially, I think, the kind of the issue that people see with um, not having legs within the metaverse uh, really speaks to an interesting tension and difference between, I'd say, like Web 2 and the kind of Web 3 metaverse, where a big focus of the metaverse is this kind of frictionless um, experience and this idea of like no load times and full immersion that wasn't really a thing with more traditional websites. Like, I don't think anyone really considers it unreasonable that like you have to wait to load a web page or like wait to see like an update someone just posted. There's this kind of this expectation and acceptance of friction that is kind of being advertised as. Um, not even existing in the metaverse. And so I think that while it's still in the early days, I think there's an interesting conflict between the messaging of like full immersion and um, like a full frictionless experience and the, um, the technological limitations that have always existed. And I think it'll lead to an interesting um, dichotomy between different metaverse platforms. Because like, for example, um, VR chat, which is a really popular um, VR social platform, they'll allow you to import custom models with legs. and what that leads to is a lot of kind of animation glitches where it won't always really match up with what the upper body or head is doing. But I think they've just decided that it's kind of it's worth the um, it's worth the animation errors to have the uh, to have better immersion and more kind of self-expression through a full avatar. And I think we'll see we'll see an interesting um, kind of competition or two like different worlds between one that is much less kind of bug like bug prone and more kind of sanitized, and then one that focuses on kind of full immersion or always adding like new features, maybe at the risk of like kind of animation errors or smaller pieces of friction here and there that kind of preserve the overall like experience or expectation. Yeah, that's a great point. And frictionless is one of our elements of culture uh, that, that we typically point to in these briefings. And it's a great example of that specifically. Um, speaking about fuller immersion, moving on to our, uh, our next signal. Um, this one is from Camilla. And it's about streaming video and if it has a place within the metaverse. So a recent media trend study among consumers in the US, the UK, Germany, Brazil, and Japan found that younger generations are adopting more paid video streaming services and ad-supported video on demand. Um, and they're more engaged with social media and rank playing video games as one of their favorite forms of entertainment. At the same time, they are also more likely to churn canceling ASFOD subscriptions when content dries up or subscription costs mount. And they are more likely to resubscribe when new content or discounts are available. In every country surveyed, ASFOB subscribers, particularly Gen Zs and Millennials, are getting savvier about how to get the most value out of entertainment for the least amount of money. So Camilla, what kinds of services or solutions should entertainment and content brands put forth for these savvy consumers? Yeah, um, one thing that this signal noted was that a lot of younger generations are looking to social media platforms and gaming platforms as an alternative. Um, and I found in my personal life that I've seen a lot of people going to a TikTok, for example, for two hours straight rather than turning on a movie or watching a TV show. Um, and I think that streamers need to really look to why that's happening and how maybe they can incorporate that into their 
structure. Um, I think one reason is because social media and gaming is a lot cheaper and more accessible. Um, people are less willing to pay for six different subscriptions at a time when you can just download TikTok on your phone. Um, and also, they're a social platform where people can interact with other people more easily. Um, and in both of these ways, I think it's looking more towards the metaverse um, because the metaverse is an accessible and social platform. Um, so I think to survive, these streamers need to find ways to incorporate socialization and interaction into their spaces um, if they want to really look towards the metaverse. Um, and I think it's definitely possible because I think if you think about it, TV and film are very much so ways of socialization. Um, if you think about fan groups, internet communities, even like talking with your friends or coworkers about what shows you're watching, um, I think if streamers find a way to incorporate those socialization aspects into their platforms, um, they'll be able to really thrive in the metaverse and look towards the future, I guess. Very well put. So for the rest of you on this signal, uh, what kind of content do you think that Gen Z consumers would actually pay for? Say, for, um, for example, if TikTok had a subscription service, or if Instagram had a subscription service, or um, gaming had uh, different add-ons, what kind of content would people actually pay for, do you think? Yeah, I see, I'm hesitant to say that we'd pay for a subscription-based TikTok or social media platform because there would, I feel like there'd be an immediate pushback on that. Um, so I don't even know if I have an answer in that regard <laughs> for it. Um, like, keep things accessible, keep things in a way that's um, as um, forms of socialization for consumers so that we can still um, be a part of the content that's being created and produced um, and engage in a way that's accessible for us. I think the moment that you um, make a subscription-based subscription uh, platform, then it's an immediate notion of like restriction. And then people aren't able to interact with the content the way that they want to. So I wouldn't even say, like, go where the money is. So, but. Anybody else? I think that uh, just kind of going off of like lessons from kind of like Web 2.0, a really popular um, way that I, like ind independent creators monetize um, content that they might eventually release on YouTube for free is the idea of like early access, like a very common one for people who make kind of longer form content, um, like rather than daily uploads, is this idea that if you like subscribe to their Patreon for five dollars a month, you can get you can like watch their newest video like a week or two weeks um, earlier than someone who didn't pay for it, and I think it kind of solves this issue of exclusivity because it doesn't make people who can't like shell out five bucks for like every creator they like it doesn't make them feel like they're missing out on the stuff they love and it makes people who want to support the work feel like they get something like special like they can talk with other people about it early maybe like describe it to their friends and I think it's just, it's a very good way of avoiding the um the paywall problem while still allowing like creators to make money and so I think that maybe it might run into an issue with larger shows this idea that like maybe Netflix would ask you like for five bucks to watch like the new Stranger Things episode like a bit early, but I think it show, it shows a lot of potential to um kind of be able to monetize in a less obtrusive way than maybe like demanding like ten bucks up front to just like watch a show or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree that's in that um, point where these subscription and monetized models could really um, take advantage of like the 
desire for like add-ons and immersions. So for example, I wouldn't pay more to um, view, for example, the Stranger Things episode earlier, but I would maybe pay more as a fan to see like behind the scenes content or like interviews or even a chance for like a Q&A with the cast. And like these are things that wouldn't you know, alienate um, regular subscribers, but would enhance the experience for people who would want to pay more for these like add-on benefits. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things that I'm hearing here that I love from all of you is accessibility and also the focus on the creators too and the monetization that it's, no, I don't want to pay you, you should pay me because I'm making your content. Um, that's really fascinating. Hannah, you want to take us away with our last signal? Yeah, so I think this is a really nice place to, to wrap up because we're talking about standards and we're talking about how we form new ways of working, of creating in the metaverse. So this is a great signal from Andrew about setting standards for the metaverse. It's David Matthews of Digital Trends reports that big name tech companies such as Meta, Microsoft, Epic Games formed a standard organization called the Metaverse Standards Forum or MSF. This is meant to be a group that creates open standards for all things metaverse, including VR, AR and 3D technology. So 30 other companies have joined this consortium, which is kind of unique in the history of technology. Most platforms develop standards organically, but here we have a number of major organizations coming together and saying, how do we set ethical standards for immersive technology? Of course, we have to you know, remember this is in their best interest too. One day you may be playing a Roblox game on an Apple VR helmet. Companies need to agree to a set of design and ethics standards if their platforms are going to operate together effectively, which is critical since interoperability is a core tenet of the metaverse. Andrew, my, my question for you is just, do you have faith that this will work? Do you think that Gen Zers like yourself trust these larger companies to get it right when it comes to the metaverse? Yeah, so a couple of thoughts come to mind. Um, I think with all things metaverse, I think it has the potential to work. It has the potential to not work. I think we need to see the metaverse like re realized a bit more before I can say like confidently, this is going to work or this is not going to work. Um, but what I do think it is, is an incredibly smart move by these companies. I think the advantages are sort of threefold. Like firstly, as you mentioned, interoperability. Like you want users to be able to actually use your platforms. Secondly, I think the development of like working together is really good. Like you sort of like in the same way that you'd work on a homework, like a problem set, you'd bounce ideas back and forth that come up with new insights. I think, you know, having a lot of, let's say like engineers, product designs and like ethics specialists to come together and work, like that's a good idea and like conducive to realizing the metaverse. But thirdly, and I think this is a bit more in the interest of like standard setting, it's like really good to be able to set standards and dictate like the technology or the standards for your own technology. And I think I'm reminded this sort of in a paper I wrote for one of my classes last semester about 3G and 5G. For those of you not too familiar, um, in terms of like telecommunications, whoever gets to set the standard basically dictates how that technology is run. And once those standards are chosen, everyone else has to use your standards. So I can like really imagine like Meta having a huge incentive to develop the tech, like the standards to favor themselves, so just like similar to the other 29 companies, right? Like it's really good. You create lock-in for your own technology and therefore more people are more likely to use it. But I do think, and to respond to the second part of your question, uh, in terms of earning trust, I think there's a critical distinction between having 30 private corporations 
developing these standards as opposed to having like an independent organization or a purportedly independent organization like the SDOs, the Standards Development Organizations, right? I think that they, there needs to be collaboration with independent verifiers or maybe even like the governments per se to like sort of you know, have ethical concerns and make sure that the technology is accessible to everyone and actually in a way that benefits the users and not just like the companies themselves. So in terms of earning trust, I think that there has to be like a lot of insight or like, how do I say this? Clarity and the ability to see what's going on in terms of like communicated without jargon to the general public and also to have like independent bodies be able to verify what's going on and explain like is it fair is it not how can you take steps to better improve like the metaverse in general that's such a great point i feel like i'm, I'm hearing from you a desire for transparency and also a level of sophistication and how consumers like yourself will be evaluating the efficacy of standards boards or what larger companies are doing this is a great place to end this conversation. Thank you all so much. What an incredible dialogue. I really appreciate all of our interns, Ishan, Florina, Deborah, Jonas, Camilla, Chantel, and Andrew. Thank you for offering your wisdom, your expertise, and your vision for the metaverse. And thank you to everyone in our studio and everyone who's tuning in. You can join us Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday on our LinkedIn page. While you're there, pop into the comments. Let us know what you think. And until next time or until tomorrow, consider yourselves briefed, at least on the metaverse. Thank you all so much.